talking with our guests backstage and um this is a very historic show because of um what this person has done so to introduce him and we'll go ahead and bring him on because we do i can tell you now this show will run the entire entire hour and 20 minutes because um he has a lot of great wisdom he's very direct and you're gonna learn some things tonight and we're also gonna dispel some myths that you've heard um so it's gonna be a very informative show so i would encourage you to tag those um share it tag and share tag and share tag and share and to introduce our guest tonight reverend stephen hoyt was born in gaston alabama he is the eighth of nine children born to lula hoyt he attended gaston public schools and went on to earn a bachelor's degree in social science with a sociology major from miles college in 1985. he also did postgraduate work in urban and regional planning at alabama a m university Reverend Hoyt was first elected to the Birmingham City Council in 2005 and won re-election in the 2009 election. He would go on to serve on the Birmingham City Council for 16 years. And one term, he actually also served as um, President Pro Tem. He was employed as a construction inspector for the Housing Authority of the Birmingham District. Reverend Hoyt is the proud wife, is the proud husband, I'm sorry, to Daphne and proud father to their daughter Maya. Reverend Hoyt chose not to run in our most recent 2021 Birmingham election and he retired after 16 years and we all know that Carol Clark won the eight-way race for his former seat. Reverend Hoyt currently serves as pastor of Noble Chapel CME Church. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my distinct pleasure to introduce to some and present to others our guest for the evening, Reverend Stephen Hoyt. Good evening. Good evening, uh, good evening, good evening. Thank you, Mr. Bynes, for that uh, one in introductory. Uh, yeah, that wasn't well, necessary, but uh, but I am always grateful. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and dive right into um, the conversation. Let's talk about your upbringing. You shared with me some things before we logged on tonight. Um, guest in Alabama, take us back to that home uh, with your mom, and all of your siblings, what was it like in that environment growing up? Uh, I, I, I really uh, had a wonderful um, upbringing. You know, we had a village. Uh, you know, we always talk about the village, but the village is very empowering. It's very revealing, uh, but it's also, uh, it embraces discipline. And so I grew up uh, not only being disciplined by my mother, but then being disciplined by everybody in that community. And so uh, for, for, for some folk may not know, but I grew up in public housing and, and uh, spent 18 years of my life there. And, um, and what a joy it was, you know, to grow up and to be around folk uh, who were going places. You know, um, my mother used to say, uh, you can be in a place and not of it. And so, which meant that uh, uh, we had, you know, we had goals, we had aspirations. We uh, wanted to be somebody in this world. And, uh, and that's what we went on to do. You know, it was nine of us, and uh, and so uh, it's just a joy that um, that I had a mother who uh, didn't play. You know, Absolutely. she uh, um, you know she embraced uh, you know community. She embraced uh, love, and and so uh, what I knew about service, I learned from my mother. Absolutely, you know, there were at least three people who um, who finished high school from our house that were my mother's children. 
You know, wow. and so what I know about service, I know from her. I mean, we had a revolving door. My mother was a wonderful cook. And Absolutely. so uh, she would uh, cook and folk would come and, and want to eat her food. And, you know, it was nothing for us to have a, a pound cake every other day uh, <laughs> because she was always uh, providing for, you know, for people in the neighborhood and, and for her own children. So um, that's what I knew. And, um, and of course, um, she kept the command of community that I grew up as well. Everybody respected Miss Cat. Her name was Catherine, uh, Lula Catherine, and they, most people called her Miss Cat. And so Miss Cat didn't play, uh, but Miss Cat was loved by a lot of folk uh, because she took time out with them, and particularly with young people. And Absolutely. so, um, and I tell folk all the time, uh, when she didn't think she had uh, you know, enough clothing to go to church, she always sent us to church, you know, and when she got when able to, you know, get her own self, you know, get clothes and what have when she's concentrating on herself, uh, then, um, you know, it was a beautiful thing, but she, she made sure that we were in church. And so I don't know what it is to be out of the arms of the church because I know uh, that my mother, uh, you know, and stressed that and, and that's where we came from, you know. Absolutely very loving environment. Um, but again, she didn't play. Absolutely. Uh, she spoke her mind. I guess that's a character flaw for me because I kind of, uh, yeah, I'm kind of shy like that too. So, <laughs> but, uh, but it was, it was good. I, I, I just, I thank God for that experience. And, uh, I've never, never ashamed of where I have, uh, uh, have, uh, come from, you know, I embrace it. Uh, because it's who I am. And you know, a lot of folks don't want you to know they from the projects, but I want you to know I am. Absolutely. Uh, it doesn't have to be your goal, but Absolutely. it can be uh, and provide a transition for you to move on to do and, and go to higher heights. Yeah. Absolutely. You said something key. I do want you to talk about um, mm -hmm. just for a few moments. You said that um, you had a very strong village. Let's talk about the importance of still, even today, children having those village when mom or dad or grandma isn't around, big mama, aunt or uncle. Right. I think it's important. I, I think that's what's missing uh, in the African-American family now is the fact that we don't have this sense of community that we once had. And I think because of, and hear me clearly, uh, when you talk about um, integration, integration um also had it down its downfall because you know we thought we were missing out mm -hmm. and perhaps we were to some degree but uh but the african-american family had uh, what it needed in this community because we had a sense of a sense of family we had a sense of connection we had a sense of respect and and all those things that um that we were uh before we were able to integrate you know and of course Integration was good to, to some degree, but I think for us, from a from a family standpoint, from a um, uh, a a moray standpoint, uh, I think um, we have to go back and revisit that because that's what we're missing. And Absolutely. I think too, we take for granted that that parenting is, um, you know, we we take it for granted, but parenting is a luxury in this day and time. You know, um, there. Um, generations of persons who've not been afforded good parenting. And so uh, what we see now is what uh, what young people know to do. And, and, and it's not 
it's not a wholesome environment in, in many cases. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, but you got to have the village. You know, we used to be. You know, we knew our neighbors. Absolutely. You know, uh, we knew them. We knew their concerns. We knew what was going on, and um, and we paid attention to that. Uh, but now, you know, we just wave if we if we wave uh-huh. at all. And uh, but you know, I'm old fashioned. You know, I would be waving. My wife said, "You know, you know them folk." I said, "That's all right." But I, they think <laughs> I know them, so you know, it helped me to get elected. <laughs> so you got to wave at the folk. Absolutely. Know, so, um, but no, we we really need that. We lack that in our community. You know, and some of it's self-induced because I think, um, you know, when you don't, you know, children want to be held accountable. You know, I used to do ministry with New Hope uh, as a volunteer, mm-hmm. and we would go into family court. And what I discovered in going in, in the family court was the fact that these young people who said to me who were in trouble said, I just wish my folk had been harder on me or been a bit more stricter on me. And I'm saying, wow. And so I'm telling you, you letting your child do anything and everything is not helping them. Absolutely. You giving them everything and not having an explanation as to how they get these things um, also uh, provides an opportunity uh, for them not to be productive, you know, because the world doesn't owe you anything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and quite frankly, you've got to earn what you what you have, Absolutely. you know, and, and so if you give it to them, they have no uh, real understanding of what that's really all about. Absolutely. I think it's, you know, that's the key that's missing right now, you know, and we got young people who are, who are not connected to the church. And I'm just saying, I'm just not talking about uh, religion. I'm talking about having a sense of God in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we the church. Absolutely. And so um, that real sense, that connection, that relationship, and uh, it's so vitally important because if you, if you understand uh, the Bible, then you know that God created the family before he created the church. Absolutely. So he intends for us to do good and do well by the, by the, by families. Absolutely. And so there's a, there's a real uh, responsibility and, and a core tenant in that, and that we have to do all that we can for our young people. Absolutely. Yeah. And some, somewhere else I want to go, you said something key. Um, you talked about religion, but we also know that you know the Bible says, "Train up in a child, train up a child in the way that he should go. When he or she is old, they won't depart from it." Talk about that time when you really experienced a connection with God for yourself, not what um, Mama had taught you, what Big Mama taught you, but God right. really to Stephen Hoyt and you having that connection for yourself. Right. I guess I was about thirteen years of age, and. Okay. Um, and I just remember uh, the Holy Spirit just coming on me, and and I I knew what that calling was, that tugging was. But I'm here to tell you, I fought it for 27 years, <laughs> and I was called to preach at 13, but I didn't want to be a preacher. I didn't, and my mother would would say, "Well, listen, you don't have to be that type of preacher." This, I said, "But I don't want to be a preacher." And uh, but I've always been in the church. You know, I love the church. I love the work of the church. You know, a lot of folks just like being in a church, but I like working in the church mm-hmm. because I think there's plenty to do. And uh, and the, and the day you start working just for yourself, 
and realizing that there are other young people uh, who are in the church who also need, um, uh, you know, need a mentor and need folks to uh, to encourage them. And um, and so, uh, you know, and that's what I'm talking about being busy uh, about the church, about the, you know, uh, the end of workings of the church is fellowship. You know, Absolutely. and we are there to be encouragers of one another. And so uh, that's always, you know, uh, and so that's my connection was there, you know, when, when the, you know, and, and, and it's been right ever since. And of course, 27 years later, you know, I'm sitting on a, my back porch and, uh, you know, my wife asked me, she said, uh, she said, you know, I'm, I'm just uh, curious. She said, what is it about you? Um, that uh, that you hadn't accepted your call to preach because everywhere we go, people <laughs> want to know you preach. I said, you know what? I said I've been called. I just hadn't accepted it. And uh, but God is patient, and He's faithful, Absolutely. and then He'll let you go on and do what you think you need to do, and then He'll pull the rug on you and say, "Listen, it's time." And uh, and I tell you, I've been I've been feeling good ever since. I've been been in and pastoring now for 15 years. And so I'm just, uh, I'm just uh, thankful for that opportunity. Absolutely. And I wanted to open the show that way because a lot mm -hmm. of people know as uh, the work you've done with the housing authority, your time on the city council, but few people don't know you as pastor Hoyt or Reverend Hoyt. So I wanted to open that way. So, um, so let's go forward. And a lot of people didn't know this. I'm going to let you reveal who it was. Let's talk about the former mayor of Birmingham that was actually responsible for you coming to Birmingham. And you can tell us who that is and then tell us how that came to be. Yeah, well, I, I remember in 1979 and I was watching. As a matter of fact, I think Larry Langford, who eventually came a mayor too, was a reporter with this big afro. And, uh, <laughs> was reporting that uh, we had elected our first African-American mayor in mm -hmm. Birmingham. And uh, and I got excited. It's like a light went off in my head. And I'm sitting there and I'm 17 years of age. And um, and so uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm lazy that I want to go to Birmingham. And of course, uh, Miles is a CME school. I'm a CME. You know, we're a connectional church. Um, mm -hmm. And so um, I grew up in uh, St. John CME Church, Gaston. And so I knew that Miles was there and I knew Miles had this wonderful choir that I used to think that I could sing until those Church of God and Christ folk came in the door. And I said, <laughs> you better sit down, okay? Because <laughs> those folk could really sing, okay? And so, um, but, uh, but it was Richard Arrington who really inspired me um, to, to understand uh, that I could be um, an elected official, you know, and of course my goal at that point was to be mayor. I, so I've never achieved mayor, but I, I've been the second person in charge. I've been the third person in charge. I've been the president and the president pro tem and president pro tem twice. So uh, in my 16 years, so, uh, but I've enjoyed serving, you know, I, I think you, know, you, you have to have a servant's heart uh, when you talk about working for the people. You know, because it can't ever be about you. It has to be about those whom you've been uh, deemed to serve. And so I went to, to sit in hall with that understanding that that's what I wanted to do, you know, to make a difference in the lives of people, because I just knew the quality of life that I had 
growing up in public housing that um, that I wanted others to experience. And it's just ironic that I end up working for a housing authority for nearly 25 years. And so, um, and then, you know, you know, change is made from within and not from without. Absolutely. And so having been a part of the executive staff at the housing authority, I got a chance to change people's lives in ways that, that perhaps mine had never been changed uh, in that in that regard. Awesome. So let's talk about, um, I know you had run a few times before, but let's talk about that first time uh, winning um, <laughs> the citizens of the residents of District 8 voted you to lead their district as city councilor. What was that moment like after uh, running a few unsuccessful times? What was that moment like when you won? Um, it, it, it was, um, it, it was a, a sense of validation, if you will, um, that um, people um, had obviously saw something in me. And that was the whole goal is to for them to see me and see me working uh, and working when nobody's looking, uh -huh. you know? And, um, and, and, and I think I have to say this for young people's sake that, um, you know, winning is just for a day, you know? And I never asked God to win. I didn't, I didn't pray that prayer. Uh, the prayer I prayed was God give me favor uh -huh. and give me favor with the people. Mm -hmm. Because winning is just for a day, but favor is for a lifetime. Absolutely. You know, when you got God's favor, you know, and uh, and that's what I knew. And that's what um, you know, my campaign was, was really all about, uh, because I wanted to serve the people like Nehemiah. I wanted to try to rebuild some walls that had been torn down, you know, and uh, and you got to understand that when you start rebuilding and you started doing things, you know, everybody's not going to be excited about that. Absolutely. I had to learn that it's a process now because you would think that everybody wants you to do well. Right. But that's not true. And I don't want young people to be, uh, you know, misled by that, that everybody's going to be, you know, just ringing your praises and what have you. Well, it doesn't work that way. And then I learned a long time ago when I served on the council, uh, when Judge Pearson used to be our counsel, there, uh -huh. and God rest his soul. But Judge Pearson said something that it made sense to me. He said, now, when these folk come down here and they praise the council, he said, y'all don't stop them. Y'all don't, y'all said, go ahead. We suspend the rules. Let me hear from them. You know, he said, but then if they come down here and they got something not so favorable to say about you, you want to cut them off, you know? <laughs> and and then I, I learned, I said, but you know, you don't grow. You don't grow on the on the on the mountain you grow in the valley you know and uh, and everybody's not gonna have great things to say Absolutely. about you about your work and so you have to embrace the criticism with the praise Absolutely. you do you have to do that yeah and you grow from you should grow from it and when nobody can say anything about you and something is wrong seriously wrong absolutely you know, that's when the super id uh seemed to creep in <laughs> The next question, um, and it's has been public news. You have always been known as that. Uh, there have been a few others, but you, in your 16 years, you are always known as that um, gentleman. You weren't going to bag down. You weren't going to be a yes man. And you were always going to stand for what was right because it was right. 
let's talk about that um that had to come from upbringing of your mom let's talk about her instilling that in you and Mm -hmm. the importance it was that you carried that when you were um appointed by the uh, citizens of district eight to serve on the city council yeah and 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 you know some of it is innate but i think most of it is learned and it's just the 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 kind of tenets that my mother had um she said she was always a pro-black independent woman okay and and i recall her telling a story when she uh she was a homemaker i mean she um domestic maker or whatever you call them now they go in the homes and clean the homes up but that's what she did she was a great cook and um you know, and my mother finished school when she was 15 years old. So, you know, she uh, and she had been double skipped. So she was smart. She just didn't have the opportunity to go to college. But uh, but uh, she was working for a doctor on the on the drive. The drive, Rainbow Drive is like Mountain Brook mm-hmm. uh, in, in Birmingham. I mean, in the Birmingham area. And so she was working for a doctor. And she said that, you know, she noticed that his wife would put twenty dollars uh, some kind of money and her leave it in her house coat when she would wash. And so she just took the money and put it in a cup, you know? And so this went on for about two or three months. And then finally the woman asked her, she said, um, said, Catherine, I left some money. And she said, do you, uh, cause she said, yes. Yeah. She said uh, that $20 and all other $20 you done left in your house coat is right there in that cup. And she said, matter of fact, I'm out of here. Wow. And she said, my mother said she had a house full of children. She says, and my mother was heavy set. She said, I took my fat butt and walked back to that, 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 uh, that line. She said, no, Catherine, no, no. She said, no, ma'am, you don't question my integrity. Mm-hmm. You know? And so what I'm saying is who I am is, might be a character flaw <laughs> because I'm just here to tell you, uh, she never went alone to get along. She was respectful, you know, she did what she was uh, hired to do and she did it with a sense of excellence. And and listen, uh, I'm not a twin, I'm a single. So that means I don't think like somebody else thinks. I think differently. And I think that's what drives a uh, good government is when Absolutely. we have opposing opinions or uh, opposing ideas, uh, but we can principally agree to, to do things together. And to grow the city, and so some, you know, some mayors have wanted you to go vote with them every time they bring some to you. But I, I'm just not wired that way. My mother wasn't wired that way. <laughs> she was, uh, she was that independent person. Absolutely. And, uh, and I learned, you know, I listened to the stories, and uh, and I developed, um, you know, this, this, you know, this, these characteristics that I have uh, from her and her stance. Yeah. Yeah, and so she said uh, she didn't have a job, but she said, uh, "But nobody's going to question her integrity." And, uh, and I've been in I've been in places like that where I lost my job because I wouldn't change my vote or do something that somebody else wanted me to do, and so I lost a job that I loved. You know, but uh, such is life. Uh, you know, we moved on. You know, God has been my provider, uh-huh. and so I get you know get out of Kelter because I lose a job, then I'm not trusting God because uh, the same one who gave me that is going to give me another one. So I just believe that. Absolutely. Let's talk about, um, you did a lot during the 16 years, but let's highlight 
uh, some of the initiatives and events that you that would annual in um, District 8. Let's start with Party with the Purpose. I think everybody Man. in Birmingham, you always knew the first. What is it? Uconda. Right, right. You knew the what first Saturday in October yeah. was um, Party with the Purpose. And I have to share this story. I shared it with you before we came on. Um, my mom, she started a community carnival at New Hope. And I later mm-hmm. ended up chairing it. And so I was on the committee. And it would be funny because when we would start calling the check on the rise, they would say, man, you know, Councilor Hoy got all this stuff unlocked. You have to start <laughs> literally like a year and a half to beat him out. So we can refer you to somebody else, but we can't help you add. So what we did after that first year, I said, uh-uh. I said, we got to move our event to the third Saturday night. <laughs> it ain't even no sense in us doing this. But it was great just to see such of excitement that you brought in District 8. Talk about mm-hmm. the vision behind that and some of the exciting things that you were able to do as a yeah. result of that. Well, one of the things um, that you would encounter when you become an elected official, people would often invite you to uh, these candlelight visuals where persons have lost their life, a loss of life. Mm-hmm. And um, and I recall um, there in Village Creek, near Village Creek, uh, there's a place called the 19th Hole. And I think it's 18 holes on the golf course. And mm-hmm. the 19th Hole is where they go in there and they uh, had a little libations and everything. But uh, right in front of that, it was a yellow uh, little shotgun house. And I was invited to come and, and give some words of comfort to these families because this was two cousins who shot and killed each other and they died right there and you know where they uh, right in front of this place and I remember going there that night and, uh, and holding the candle and and God spoke to me and said what are you going to do when we blow out the candle you know what am I going to do? What, what, you know, what are we going to do to really impact this community? You know, because at this point I'm, I'm about tired of going through these, going to these candlelight visuals. They're, they're wonderful. And I think it brings a sense of peace uh, to, to families and all, but what are we doing to, you know, to have a significant impact on these communities? And so God gave me part of what the purpose I told my assistants, he was there with me that night. I said, you know what? I want to party, and I want to party with a purpose. And so we started from there, started putting it together, and um, and then you know from that, you know that first year maybe we thought we had five hundred, and it might have been uh, twelve hundred to show up. Wow. And the next year just kept growing, and and one year we had almost ten thousand people to come through that park, and I'm just saying, wow. But it's a labor of love. It's a job fair. It's an educational fair. Uh, it's um, it's a health and wellness. Um, uh, you know, people give blood, so we're saving lives, and you know, mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff that's going on uh, with part of with the purpose. And so, what I learned is that if you give something, um, you know, and you know, we we're, we're we're charged to transform communities. And I wanted to transform what had been happening. And I would tell you this, that not a single murder took place leading up to the part with the purpose. Wow. You know, but it didn't happen by osmosis. But we had a, a, a young preacher, uh, Dr. Houston, 
Derek Houston and his church used to come and they would pray and cover the whole park that nothing would happen. And so, uh, and this it went on every year, every year I've had it. You know, we had uh, this going on and, um, and God kept us safe, you know, not a single incident. And in the 13 years that we did part with the purpose, it was just an awesome event. Um, people came to love it and people didn't know the name of it. They said, uh, what is that thing you have in, in October? <laughs> he said, I, I said, part with a person, I'll be there, you know? And so, uh, and I tell you the, the other thing about this was the fact that my volunteers also brought gifts. I said, I don't want you to bring a gift that you don't want. I want you to bring something that you could use. Mm -hmm. And so we gave out ironing boards, irons, and there was one year, I got two stories to tell you about part of the purpose. One year, there was an elderly woman who didn't have anything to cook on. She wanted uh, a microwave. You know, that was, you know, and she, man, she shouted, you know, she was wow. just happy, you know. And, uh, and then, so one year, there was a kid, we gave bikes. Every year we gave out bikes. And so this particular young, young, uh, young fella had worn a bike and we were, it, you know, the, the event was over. They were taking things down. We were just sitting there just reflecting on the day. And this young, young fella comes back. He said, mister, I just want to thank you again for this bike. Wow. Now, you know, I get teary eyed even when I think about it. Uh -huh. You know, that this kid came back and said, I just want to thank you. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now that I said, it, it made all the sense, you know, it was worth it that Absolutely. we could do that and have that kind of impact on a young, young, a young kid, a young lad. And uh, I just tell you, that was just, you know, just a joy. And uh, it was, um, you know, it was labor of love. Uh, it took a lot of work. And that's why you couldn't get those uh, those inflatables and all that stuff. Because, <laughs> you know, we start partying, you know, we, in uh, uh, that first week in October, next week we planned it for the next one. So, <laughs> but we we enjoyed it and people supported it. You know, Absolutely. I, I may have to go back and look at how much money we end up raising over those years uh, to put on part with the purpose. But what happened with part with the purpose? And I want to thank Anthony Marino too because he's my good friend, the grocer. And so Anthony showed out there that first time we had a part with the purpose. And he had a little, he had bought a, a little, um, um, a little barbecue grill, right? Uh -huh. And had a little red top, I remember it. And I'm like, who is this man? He just showed up and started barbecue, uh, cooking hot dogs. I'm like, man. And so the next year he showed up. I said, this guy's for real, you know? And so from that, Anthony and I developed a, a wonderful relationship. And we started working together and he became my chairman of part of what the purpose. And so one day we was talking, he said, Hort, he said, I really want to do something impactful. He said, we got to do something else. I said, well, I tell you, he said, uh, what about education? I said, well, then we just do education with a purpose. And so eight years ago, we started, we've given roughly over $139,000 to college bound students. Wow. Unrestricted wow. money, because I remember when I was a freshman, 
and that was a young man that was from who played on the football team mm-hmm. that was from Miami, Florida. And he um um around November he left. He disappeared. And because he was from Miami, he didn't have any he didn't have any winter clothes. And so and I said, My goodness, you know, you he couldn't stay in school because he didn't have any clothes. Wow. You know, and so when I thought about this part, I mean, it's educating for the purpose. I said, I want this money to be unrestricted. So if kids need to buy clothes, because everybody want to look nice and go to, go to school. They want to get the lesson, but they want to get the, they want to look nice like everybody else. And Absolutely. so some young people make the decision not to go to college because they don't have the basic necessities. And I could tell you, that it's been life-changing for a lot of our young people because even if you get a scholarship, you still have incidentals. Absolutely. That you have to, you know, you, you know, have to buy toiletries and different things of that nature. And so uh I wanted it to be that kind of impact. And and it has. And um and so I was just, you know, just uh, really delighted that uh, the community and corporate America got behind that and um and just recently, we gave uh, Miles College uh, twenty thousand uh-huh. dollars for student development, and and all. And um, that was the last of the money that I had. And I, uh, I just recently gave, uh, I think, it was thirty eight uh, young people um, back in. I think it may have been May or June that we gave them uh, monies to uh, to go, and and nobody got under five hundred dollars. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it's been a labor of love, but uh, but so that grew out of uh, part of with a purpose, education with a purpose, and then we had Man Up, and Man Up was a a, a breakfast that we had uh, Father's Day weekend, mm-hmm. and I want to concentrate on men because oftentimes you know women are gonna be taking care, they're gonna be taking care on their birthday, they're gonna be taking care on Mother's Day, and all, but the men mm-hmm. don't always get the attention. Uh, but they need some encouragement in some cases. And so we came up with uh, Man Up, and Man Up provided an opportunity for um, for men and boys to get in the room and their, and their daughters and children and to talk about what it means to be a man and the expectation of a man and, and also the expectation of children of what a father ought to be. And that was the, you know, the, the premise of that. And uh, and as a result, uh, it became a, a wonderful thing. My first speaker was uh, Judge Sparks, and and I never forget it. <clears throat> he was talking about uh, there was uh, in Africa there was a preserve, and the um, the elephants were being killed. Uh, the bull elephants were being killed, and um, no no the rhinos, white rhinos, were being killed by the elephants and they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't figure it out. So they put a, uh, some cameras in the uh, preserve to observe what was happening during the night. And, and they finally figured out that, that the young bulls had not been taught how to exert themselves. And so they were subsequently killing the rhinos. And so they wow. had to bring in some big bulls to teach them how to be bulls, you know, elephant bulls. And so, and so Judge Fox said, that's what we need in our community. We need uh, the bull, big bulls to teach the young bulls how to be bulls. 
Absolutely. That's what we yeah. need. And I'm telling you, it was, I mean, you know, of course, you know, um, Judge Boggs, I mean, he <laughs> he's an awesome uh, orator. Yeah. And he's going to make it plain. And I Absolutely. mean, it, it comes it comes to life when he gets up. And man, when a dry eye in that place, you hit me. I mean, he, I mean, and it just became, uh, you know, and so Hezekiah Jackson said to me at once, he said, uh, he, said what I, he said, I know you think part of what the purpose is your signature event. He said, but I'm here to tell you, this man up is out, is out the box. He said, this is awesome. And we've had uh, Dr. Michael Wesley and, you know, all these wonderful um, preachers have come in and, uh, and to speak to us. And so we've, you know, so it's been a real, real blessing um, to be able to put that event on. And I want to thank uh, Council Woods, um, uh -huh. who remains on the council, who said uh, that he's going to take up man up. Um, and I said, what an honor that somebody think enough of your programs that they would want to be a part of that. Absolutely. And, uh, over. and I want to thank uh, President Water uh, Andy Alexander, our new president of the council, who also took one of the other initiatives that I had. I started a culture arts initiative called the Files Project. And Catherine uh, Files and her brothers uh, put on every year at the Alabama um, Fine Arts School. And okay. so, um, and, and so, um, Council President Alexander said she would take that on, and, uh, awesome. and that she would continue that work. So I'm I'm really um, tickled by that, uh, and um and humbled by that as well. Awesome. So you talked about your um, legacy. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you were thrilled to see um, the new twist and turn on the council this time. <laughs> For the first time ever, uh, women in the majority. Not only do we have uh women five women and four men but we have a female president and then the female uh president pro tem talk to us about um this is big change and talk to us about the importance it'll be a two-part question um talk well a two-part statement talk to us about the importance of embracing change such as this and then what would you say to those men who still have a problem because there are still some men and women who have a problem with women being in such a, a high role like that. Yeah. Because let me say this, y'all, not only is that, but Reverend Hoyt has an assistant pastor, one of the best assistant pastors at his church. So kind of right. talk about that in our own way. Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, if, if you if you look at uh, humanity in, in, in a historical standpoint, uh, women have always been there. Uh -huh. And they've always been strong, and they've always been inviting, and and uh, and they've always uh, have orchestrated uh, things. You know, um, you know, uh, you know. Again, I had to go back. To, you know, I was raised by uh, by a single parent, and um, and so you know, my mother, you know, was this person who knew how to take charge. And I just think um, this is, you know, this is the time that we in. Uh, women uh, coming into their rightful place uh, mm -hmm. in terms of leadership. And I have to embrace that because I've had the pleasure of raising a daughter mm -hmm. uh, and being married for 31 years to the same woman. So, uh, you know, I'm for women. And uh, and now I have the wonderful, uh, the wonderful responsibility of raising a great niece, uh, my wife's great niece, uh, who's 14 years of age. 
and so um, who's very bright and uh, has a very bright future. And so um, we have, uh, you know, God has a sense of humor. We thought we were empty nesters. And then uh, Rachel came and just blessed us beyond measure. And so uh, it's a joy to raise her and um, and to uh, to make sure that she uh, have all the tools she needs. And so I, I think, you know, um, where we are is where we need to be. Um, you, know, I, you know, some of the best preaching I ever heard was from women, you know, and you talk about uh, Donna Erskine. Uh, yes. she, she, she's one of the best. I mean, she uh, she knew how to bring it. And, uh, and I really depend on her a lot, uh, even in the local church. Uh, she's a wonderful person, got a wonderful spirit, um, you know, and of course she is very competent uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to that. And that's what you have now. You have these competent women. Um, President Alexander, um, you know, had a responsibility on a job that she worked for 30 years and retired and and so she knows how to run some stuff. And, uh, and of course, um, you know, she's, she was poised. I, I really was uh, uh, really de- delighted that she took the rim and they had enough confidence in her to make her uh, the president. I thought that's where it should have been. And, uh, and Crystal is just a smart young lady uh, and all she needs is an opportunity. And now she has an opportunity to lead uh, like she's never before. And so I just think it's wonderful that the women are there. You know, I respect women, I pastor women. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm ruled by women at home. So, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just kind of used to it, okay? Uh, Cause Ms. Hart run, 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 run that house over there. So, you know, uh, you know as I, I think I told you before, you got to learn how to be a, a non-conformist conformist. And, and and so I asked my uncle Bishop Hoyt, who uh, I got that term from. He said, "Well, he said what?" I said, "So what? What does that mean?" He said, "You got to raise a little king, and then you got to do what they told you to do the first time." So <laughs> I have learned to be a nonconformist conformist. Okay, <laughs> and so, um, but you know, I'm you know very happy about that. And you know, my wife and daughter both um, uh, are both attorneys. And um, you know, and and doing things in their own right, you know, uh, you know, and taking leadership in their own way, and that's what I know, and uh, that's what I appreciate, and uh, and even Rachel is, uh, she's got voted senator, uh, freshman senator, so she, she got a wow. little, a, a little, uh, a little politics in her, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm, you know, she's gonna be great, and she likes. Uh, you know, uh, don't have a problem in, in speaking up and speaking out. So I just think that's wonderful. And I think we're, gonna, we're in good hands uh, because Absolutely. the women pay pay attention to details. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we got detail now at City Hall. <laughs> now you had a chance to um, speak to the counselors that served with you um, in the very big send-off that they gave you. What I want you to do now is uh, publicly, and I will make sure that all of them see it, um, the three newbies. Um, of course, Carol Clark, she uh, won your seat. And then we have Latanya Tate with District 9. And then Jonathan J.T. Moore for District 4. What words of wisdom, as they would say, the new kids on the block, would you uh, give them? Yeah. Well, I would tell them, as I have shared when I uh, when I left the council uh, on the 19th, 
I wrote each counselor individual letters, uh, notes on uh, on thank you cards, and wow. and and even the mayor and his chief of both his chief of staff and deputy, uh, um, and then the council. I you know wrote the notes, and uh, and I said to them summarily, uh, take care of the people. Always be for the people. I think if you know that your job is to take care of the people, not, you know, I'm not saying we can't do business with business folk. I'm just saying, don't let it be at the expense of the people, mm-hmm. you know? And my thing is, um, if you take care of the people, then the city would take care of itself. Absolutely. You know? I mean, um, there's a, there's a real, um, a real urgency, if you will, um, for us to take care of these outlying areas. You know, we're taking care of downtown. Downtown is doing wonderful, you know, and I had a part in it, you know, but I want us to take care of these outlying areas. Absolutely. Like Hensley, like North Birmingham, like um, um, East Lake and all those areas out there, you know, um, Roebuck. We need to take care of those areas. Absolutely. Because you know, at one time they were thriving, mm-hmm. but 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 we also got to understand this: that uh, we have a majority African American council. What's wrong with taking care of the African American community? Sometimes, you know, and you know, I've been on that. <laughs> you know, that's, that's my uh, often repeated <laughs> phrase. Okay, <laughs> but I just think. You know, uh, it's enough to go around. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, part of my career has been uh, just trying to uh, get folks to understand economic parity. You know, we're not talking about a transfer of wealth. You know, people run away when you can make transfer of wealth. Well, mm-hmm. I know it'll be the rapture before that happens, but I think it's enough to go around. I'm just saying, I'm, I don't have a problem with you getting your part, but let let us get some too. Absolutely. You know, because when is my community going to change if money never reaches back to Inslee? Absolutely. You know, and the reason these other communities have changed because money goes into those communities every day. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a metamorphosis that takes place. But I want the same thing. You know, I had one of my colleagues said, uh, I was always comparing my district with her. Well, I did. And I did for a reason. Because I want mine to be the same way yours <laughs> <laughs> I be. I want to walk my dog. <laughs> you know, I want to be like you. I don't have to even ask the mayor. Can you have somebody pick up this trash here and there? You know, and you look at the, go back and look at the council meeting. Rarely does that person <laughs> has to say, "Mayor, can you, uh, there's a couch in front." It, it, it ain't happening. <laughs> but somebody will empty a whole house out in front of my in my community. And they've been sitting there for days. Mm-hmm. And I got to come there to do that. But see, that's the difference. And and, and I think you know, everybody deserves peace and tranquility. You know, I want to live in a peaceful neighborhood. You know, and so if, if I got to compare yours to mine, I am. <laughs> My folks sent me back for 16 years because I, I did what I did, you know. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm saying to these young folk uh, who are coming on to the council, 
uh, take care of people. And if you take care of people, God will take care of you. Absolutely. Okay. That's, that's Absolutely. it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. In just a few uh, more minutes to tell y'all, y'all were going to learn a lot tonight being like, uh, before we came on tonight, we talked about the surge of, um, I would say 35 and under, I would, I would even say 40 and under that's uh, running for something in the political realm and not all of the people in my, in our, in my age bracket, but a large portion, they feel like when it comes to those that have served, they don't want to hear anything you all have to say. And there's a twofold streak to that. There are some adults, majority that genuinely care, like yourself, and they want to see the best in the younger people. Because I commend you publicly for how, you know, I've seen you sometimes share some things with Counselor Smitherman, and you could tell she thanked you for that, you know. Everything yeah. where you were fussing, but it came from that fatherly place of love. How right. important is it to our younger constituents that do, you know, desire to run, that mm -hmm. they cling to and they take the wisdom to those older ones that have done it and were successful in it? Because you know, let's just be honest. Birmingham would not be where Birmingham is today had it not been for people like uh, Mayor Richard Arrington, um, the late, great Pat Alexander, the late, great Miriam Witherspoon, uh, Aldrich, Aldrich Gunn, and I'm missing some people, so we'll stop there. Uh, Maxine Heron Parker, we could go on and on and on, and that's just on the council level. But right. and even when we talk about people that are still serving, Linda Coleman Madison. These are people that are still serving and just talk about the importance of it that you gleaming from their wisdom and not thinking, well, this me, this my term. I'm just going to cut out all the old and bring in new because I've said this on several shows. I'll say it just because it's new don't mean it's going to work just because it's new doesn't mean it's going to work. Yes, there are some things that need to be transformed and tweaked. But there are some things, if they're working, you may have to change your method a little bit, but there are right. just some things that don't need to be X'd out. So kind of speak yeah. to the importance of that. Well, I, I think it's important to embrace the old and, and the new uh -huh. um, because I think that's an opportunity for you to build a bridge. you know, And that's what we ought to be doing, building bridges, because we don't never know when we have to cross them. You know, um, I think, you know, um, my mother said something that it made sense to me. And she said, uh, it don't cost you anything to listen. Absolutely. Okay. And, but you got a, a group of young folks who don't want to listen. They don't want to listen because they think they know everything. I, you know, I pride myself of surrounding myself with folks who know more than me. You know, they, uh, you know, they, they thrive and, and I've never been accused of, uh, of uh, snuffling, um, you know, young people out of their uh, just desserts, if you will. Uh -huh. uh, I've always been a proponent of young folk uh, because I was once young and I know the time that person spent with me and I learned to listen. You know, as a matter of fact, my mentor 
Edgar Hill, who was uh, retired um, director of HUD in, for the state of Alabama. And um, he told me one time uh, something, and I said, you know, you told me that before. He said, well, just, I said, he said, just act like you didn't hear it, and you just listen again, you know. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, you know, just little stuff like that that I learned that even if you heard it before, you might pick up something that you miss when right. it was said, okay? And so I just think that you don't have to make the same mistakes that others have made. And I was very fortunate in, 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 my, in, 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 in my family that I had five older brothers and two older sisters who all had made mistakes at some point in their life. And one of your sisters is watching tonight. I go ahead and put this up. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's my sister tonight. Well, and, and listen, and, and and she rules too. Okay. <laughs> She's the queen of the family. Okay. And uh, but she take care of everybody's business now. You know, she does that. But you know, you you got to know that you got you have to learn from other people. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody brings something to the table of value. But if I've done it, you don't have to do it too. And so I want to thank my older sisters and brothers because I didn't have to make the same mistakes or make, you know, and they all weren't necessarily mistakes, but they were, you know, things that happened. And so why would I do the same thing thinking I'm going to get a different result? Absolutely. It, it doesn't happen that way. You got to do some things differently. Absolutely. Uh, and there was, you know, a lot of uh, good things that I learned. I learned how to be a homeowner. I, excited about being a homeowner because my brother was a homeowner at 19 years of age. Wow. You know, and, uh, and of course, um, you know, and I became a homeowner at 24 and, um, and I didn't think I could ever be a homeowner, but I did, but I got excited because I was working for hood and I'm reviewing these folks, uh, FHA and VA loans. And I see, you know, uh, young white kids, 19, 18, 20 years old buying houses. I said, well, I'm 24. I don't have a house. I don't have a wife. Why I can't have me a house? Absolutely. So Hager said, you can. That was Hager Hill. And I was working at his office, Fair Housing Equal, Equal Opportunity. He said, you can. He said, let's go down here and talk to Gay or Red Wine. It was in mortgage credit. Went down there and he he told him what I, my desires was. And I, hey, I started working, saving my money, putting stuff aside and what have you. And at 24 years of age, I was a homeowner, you know? And that's what I'm saying, that you can learn somebody. But if I hadn't spent that time with Hagan and other folk and my older sisters and brothers uh, who uh, had been uh, through some things, have gone and done some things, I would never known that. Absolutely. You know, and so you can always learn from those who have gone before you. You know, and I just think uh, we have to have a, 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 a sense of, of humility, if you will, if you're gonna if you're gonna serve um, humanity, then you ought to have some humility, and uh, and you don't know it all, and I don't know it all, but I can give you some advice on things that I know that are worse, and that, you know, and all of them have been, you know, have always been great steps. Some have been missteps, mm -hmm. but uh, but you can learn. You know, um, Churchill says that success is going from one failure to another without loss of enthusiasm. Absolutely. And so then 
uh, failure becomes the resolve of success. Okay. Absolutely. So I, I know I've had some failures. So if it looked like I'm successful, you need to understand I've been failing for a long time. Absolutely. That's what it takes to make, you know, because the other thing, how do you measure your success if you mm -hmm. never fail at anything? That's right. That's right. You can't measure it, can you? Absolutely. Right. So I learned that, you know, and I hope that other young people will see this and and know that you you learn from you. You're not going to always do everything right. I told my child, um, Maya, I said, did you do your best? She said, Dad, I did my best. And that's all I'm asking for. You know, and that's what it's all. That's, that's all. That's all you can do. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. And so as we prepare to wrap up, um, a lot of people, you may ask, why didn't you say the end of an era? Because that was the end of one phase of your life, I believe, um, city council. But I'm sure we won't. We haven't heard the last of you yet. Um, we already know Mrs. Hoyt said publicly that they gave you the big sent off. The next 16 years belong to her. That's and right. for those who saw that, you could tell she meant every word. Oh, did she meant um, it now? <laughs> <laughs> so can you kind of talk about um, some things that you possibly are working on next? We know that you um, mm -hmm. still be for the people as that's part of your ministry as a pastor. But yeah. what are some things that we can expect from you in the yeah. future? Maybe not many people know um, that I still hold a job. I work every day on behalf of young people. Okay. Uh, I work with the Dannon Project, a reentry program designed to assist young people who come in contact with the law. And so as a court advocate, uh, my job is to advocate on behalf of young people as they go through the courts. We're not lawyers. We're advocates. Okay. We don't hang ourselves out as lawyers, but we're advocates. And we try to give some direction and be a mentor uh, to our young folk because a lot of times, um, you know, what they, you know, they might have tickets that they hadn't taken care of. They think they're going away, but they're not going away. <laughs> you know, these fines not going away. So you have to address them, you know. And so we assist them in, in doing that. And we now have a new program called Pathway Homes, which goes uh, inside the prisons. And we provide the same wraparound services for those persons who are incarcerated so that when they leave uh, the prison or uh, being incarcerated in jail, then they don't have to start from scratch that we would have already had a plan for them, a housing plan, a medical plan, a job plan for them. And so they get the certifications while they in a pre-release state. And then once they come out, we also provide wraparound service from a, a post-release state. And so, uh, and and then our surveillance of those individuals uh, is up to two years after they, you know, after they graduate from the program or they exit the program, we still have a responsibility to follow them up to two years. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, because everybody have a hiccup. Absolutely. You know? And so, uh, but that's what I do every day and and it's one of the, the some of the greatest work that I've, I've uh, that I have done uh in this life is uh, working here to Dan and, and being able to impact lives in ways that uh that you know nobody could imagine when you you know when you can 
speak to a judge and the judge asks your opinion about an individual and you give them um, your assessment and uh, and they decide that they're not going to send them to prison, but they're going to send them to the den and, uh, as a diversion. Uh, that's some pretty uh, humbling uh, you know, experience. And uh, and we've been able to do that. Absolutely. You know, and we got and I tell people this. If you were going to get in trouble, you would want to get in trouble in Jefferson County because we got the best judges in the state of Alabama, if not in the United States, because both black and white judges understand mass incarceration. They understand that. They get it. Okay. And we got some great judges who, uh, you know, making, you know, sound decisions and not want to send folks to prison, you know, uh, but to see how we could help them if they Absolutely. have the resources that they need, the basic resources. And so uh, I'm gonna continue to do that. Um, I, I like uh, working here at the Denon and, and impacting lives in that way. Um, I also own a consulting firm that I've had for 14 years, but I've not activated because it's hard to balance politics and mm -hmm. and trying to make some make a hustle, trying to make some cheese. <laughs> and so, uh, and those who have done it uh, end up in jail. And so my wife told me, said, listen, uh, I want you to know that I'm not going to be uh, on your arm going into court, not one day, not one day. So she said, you better be the best counselor that you could possibly be. And so I had marching orders even before I got there. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, I, and I'm leaving, I left like I came, free. Absolutely. Free, not even a hint of scandal. Okay. Absolutely. And so, but I'm grateful to God uh, that, uh, you know, that we were able to serve and serve with a sense of valor, uh, serve with a sense of uh, purpose and, um, and, and empowerment, you know, because uh, we get a chance to empower others. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, as we prepare to wrap up, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to um, even agree to do this interview tonight. It was an honor um, because after 16 years, I knew you had a lot to share, and I'm sure there's still a lot more you could share. Oh, but indeed. I think our um, audience tonight got a glimpse of the man behind the uh, city councilor. So, Again, thank you for all of your service. Thank you for those things that you've already done to make Birmingham, not just District 8, but Birmingham a better place and those things that you're continuing to do on a daily basis. So as we prepare to wrap up for the evening, any final words or thank yous or anything that you'd like to give at this time? I don't know when I have been interviewed any better than I've experienced this evening. Wow, thank you. Uh, that is a huge I, I, honor. I, I, you know, I'm just... You know, uh, you've gotten more out of me than a whole lot of folk. And so uh, I just really appreciate that. And it, it was not potentious, uh, but one from the framework that uh, you want to understand. And so uh, that's a good place because my wife said, oftentimes people misconstrue who you are because they only get snippets, they get uh, sound bites. Said, but they need to know who you really are. You know, Absolutely. and I remember a uh, woman at my church, she said, I just want to know, is his uh, private face, his public, is his public face, his private face? She said, whatever you see is what he is, how he is at home, you know? Wow. And, awesome. uh, and that's really, um, 
you know, it should speak volumes because, uh, you, you know, a, a position should not change you. Absolutely. You know, I'm still, I'm still my, my big sister, little brother. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I am. And, and listen, and I'm 59 years old and they still treat me as if I'm two years old. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, but with a sense of love Absolutely. And, uh, and, and to tell me and that I didn't know and said to me, my brother said, you were always special, even when you were born. And, uh, and I said, wow, you know, so God has always had his hand on me. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for a wife that I've been married to for uh, 31 years and some change. And and I'm happy and uh, and I'm conforming every day. You know? So uh, thankful for Maya for 16 of those years. Uh, you know, she uh, gave her dad away to the to the public. And uh, and so, uh, uh, you know, when I cooked, they said, you ain't cook so long. What I said, well, listen, I'm I'm cooking. Just be grateful I'm cooking, okay? Because Miss uh, Vines, I am a good cook, okay? My mama was a good cook, a bad cook, and bad being good in our community, right? Okay, right. So right. Uh, my sister, uh, who's watching this evening, is a great cook, okay? Uh, but uh, my cornbread is better than hers. But anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm very grateful. Uh, to have had a family, to be born into a family like I've been born into. And I'm just grateful uh, on both sides. My dad, um, you know, was a great man. And, um, you know, and his brother, Bishop Hoyt, eventually became the senior bishop of the CME Church, uh, a New Testament scholar, renowned scholar uh, on a world stage for 40 years. So I'm very grateful, you know. Uh, my cousin, Selwyn Vickers, is the dean of a uh, of UAB Medical School. Uh, mother cousin, uh, Mary Kowser Alexander is the first African-American um, model for Coca-Cola. And this all came from this little town called uh, Ball Play, Alabama. Uh -huh. Okay, yeah, so, uh, but we are very grateful uh, for the, uh, to be in a family that has uh, made an impact on, on people's lives. Absolutely. And what I want to do at this time, this is something uh, that we do with our guests, just to show um, another fun side. So this segment is called our Hot Fry, qu hot fry okay. Questions. Okay. So we know there's nothing like some good hot fries. When they come out that grease, you put whatever your uh, preferred season on. If you want Cajun, you get Cajun. If you want Cajun ranch, you could get that too. So I'm going to ask you probably about eight questions, and you give your quickest response. Okay. All right, All let's right. go. L.A. or Detroit? Detroit. Chicken or fish? Fish. Soul food or Chinese food? Uh-uh, soul food. <laughs> Flight or road trip? Road trip. Take it all in. <laughs> day with your wife or trip with your family? A day with my wife. Favorite movie? Sounders. That's a great movie. Which era, 80s or 90s? Mm, I like the 80s. And the last question, would you rather go back in time or be frozen in time and why? Just go back. I want to be frozen. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
country. I want to be like uh, uh, Rick Van Winkle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It tell, tell us why you like to go back in time. Um, because I, I think for me, it was enduring. It was loving. It was, um, you know, there was aspirations. There were, you know, goals and dreams and all. And so if I had to do it all over again, that's what I would want to do. Because, um, uh, you know, you know, we meander, you know, God's blessings. And so um, God has allowed me to meander, you know, every road that he has uh, placed out there for me. And so uh, I would take the same road you know, I wouldn't change anything. Uh, my upbringing, you know, um, where I come from. And, uh, but I also know that God has a, you know, I tell, I tell my folk at church, it's not what God brings you from, but what he brings you to. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And so when he brings you to, you always know you got a future. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Man, I well, tell you, you're bad boy. I tell, I, listen, I've enjoyed this. Yeah, you ain't well, nothing to play with. You, you need to be rolling the mind. Rolling the mind ain't got nothing on you. Okay. He just might be my frat brother, but he ain't as bad as you. Well, again, thank you for that great compliment. And like we tell all of our guests, you are now officially a part of the respective family. So we'll definitely have you back on in the future. And um, for those who watch every week, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram subscribe to our youtube channel and stay tuned we have some great things coming up for the holidays uh we're going to give you all a chance to know more about your local black owned businesses because this year i'm sure you would agree reverend hoyt we need to patronize more of our black owned businesses for black friday we do a small business saturday in november which is a national holiday a lot of people don't know about it and you know i shop at macy's too but I'm trying to better support our Black-owned businesses. So here's the thing. Black-owned businesses, in order for us to support you, we have to know what you do. You have to have your things together. You have to be reachable, and you have to be polished. So we're going to bring you some of the best Black-owned businesses to support this year. And, right, absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, I was proponent of uh, for Black business now. Right, know? absolutely. Yeah. Minority Advocate of the Year. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, you are. Clark. Clara Clark nominated me for that. Right. And look, now she's actually on your, in, proceeding right. in your seat. Serving, serving as my counselor. Before you leave, we leave, what words would you give to her? I think that's only in order. Mm -hmm. um, what word would I leave to her? Finish the cross play. All right, Clark, you hear that? He wants you okay. to finish the crossplex. That's right. That's what I want her to do. <laughs> finish. I told her she's going to do even greater work than mm -hmm. I have done. Uh, but, you know, um, one man plants one water and another reaps the harvest. Absolutely. And so I want her to, to take us on out and uh, and redevelop, uh, continue the redevelopment of the crossplex that has so much promise. Absolutely. And before we end tonight, um, I say this often, I think I don't say it enough. Everyone that watches tonight, whether you live in Birmingham or not, you watch these shows because there's a connection to Birmingham because primarily 
just about all of my guests are homegrown, local-based. Y'all, please watch the city council meetings on Tuesday. Whether you live in Birmingham, you all spend money in Birmingham because I know some of the favorite soul food restaurants you like to eat at. The things that are being discussed affect you. We have new counselors in. We always say we don't know what's going on. City council meeting is live streamed every Tuesday at 9.30 a.m. So if you're not liking Birmingham City Council page, go ahead and like that. And the best thing about it, they don't delete them. So if you're at work or you have other obligations, you can go and watch that. But you need to watch those. I'm looking at one and I call her out. She doesn't mind. Patricia Mason. She had a situation and she wasn't getting any resolution, but we pulled through and we got some things taken care of. If you don't care about your neighborhood and your surroundings, who else will? So we have to advocate for each other and watch these city council meetings because when we vote, whether you vote or not, you're not going to get on that because I think we've talked about that enough. But when you vote, you have to hold these officers accountable. That's just the key thing. So it's easy to vote just because my mama voted, but you have to hold them accountable. And shout out to Kim, Jenny. Uh, Kim is a longtime city uh, council worker, and she's running a few elections. Kim is very passionate about uh, the city of Birmingham. So shout out to Kim, Lonnie Malone. And An so opportunity to work with her. She's a wonderful person. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I've said this before, but shout out to Lonnie Malone, Chris Coleman, yeah. the all of these people who, yeah. listen, we don't do these shows just to give us something to do. We do these to keep you informed about the things that are happening with you. So shout out to all those people who do this. Rhonda Robinson, Valerie Hicks, Poe, and so many others. Gary Richardson, the list goes on and on. And we do this because we believe our city and our area could be a better city and state. So ending on that note, I always leave with the inspirational nugget. And this week, it's a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. People fail to get along because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other. They don't know each other because they have not communicated with each other. So basically, as we end the show tonight, it is important that you get to know people for yourself. Don't go by what anybody else has told you because here's the thing, just because you may not like a person or that person may may not like a person, your experience with that person could be completely different. So don't allow yourself to be manipulated or controlled, but get to know people for yourself. And I promise you, the world will be a better place. As always, we say keep the faith. We look forward to seeing you back here next Monday, same place, same time.